0: We are recording from the Fake News Capital of Canada. I'm Candace Malcolm, it's Fake News Friday, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm very pleased to be joined by my colleague, journalist, Andrew Lawton. And we are on the floor of the Convention of the Canada Strong and Free conference, formerly known as the Manning Conference, and there is so much going on in Ottawa. It's so interesting to be here, Andrew. I mean, is this your first time back since the trucker convoy?
1: Yeah, it is actually. This is the first time I've been in Ottawa since the convoy ended, and that was the weekend when I was pepper sprayed. And don't, from my hotel room, I have a a look look out uh, that is staring directly at where that happened. So it's bringing back all sorts of painful, literally memories, but-
0: PTSD. Yeah,
1: no, it's good to be back here. I, I enjoy, I've enjoy. i always enjoyed Ottawa, so uh, it, it's fun
0: to be here. You know, Ottawa is a beautiful city and the architecture, the, the people, it's, it's a great place to be, but it is also a painful reminder. We are like deep in yeah. establishment, Ottawa establishment territory, home of all the gatekeepers, home of the elites who don't want to hear from Canadians. They don't care what Canadians think. They want to basically ram their opinions uh, down your throat. And you, and you really feel that yeah. uh, amidst all of the bureaucracy. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today, Andrew, it is Fake News Friday. It was World Pres- Press Freedom Day um, this week. And so you'll hear a lot of virtue signaling from liberal politicians who we all know don't care at all about press freedom. They don't care about a truly independent press. They don't want the facts to get out to Canadians. And yet they're more than happy to get onto Twitter, virtue signal, you know, whether it's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, Chrissy Freeland, I heard an anecdote. They had a, they had like a, a dinner, like an awards dinner, basically congratulating themselves on their press freedom. And this is what the liberals do. This is what the media does. They focus on attacks on the press outside of Canada, right? Like, oh, there's this like, there's this looming threat of, of lack of press freedom in places like Hong Kong. Look at these brave journalists in Ukraine. And they're completely blinded to their own hypocrisy. And and the focus, rather than being on actual press freedom and allowing journalists to do their jobs, getting out of the way, stop the subsidies, stop funding journalists that you like and punishing journalists that you don't like. Um, instead, their, their focus, Andrew, is on disinformation and misinformation, which is the latest buzzwords yeah. that call for them to basically censor, they they want censorship, they want to censor the internet, they have these internet censorship bills, they don't like critical journalists, they don't want journalists who are going to do a lot of digging and hold them accountable in the way that journalists are supposed to do. And so the main focus of this kind of event is one, on look at these horrible countries around the world that don't acknowledge press freedom like we do, and two, how can we censor the internet to scrub opinions that we don't like, including by independent journalists? What's your take on all this?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think that the look over there strategy is one that the liberals love doing on human rights. They love saying, oh, you know, we got to look at Congo and Venezuela without looking in our own backyard and our own front yard. And I mean, I mentioned earlier that the last time I was in Ottawa was covering the convoy. The reality is that was a, a huge moment where Justin Trudeau's government authorized police to go and arrest journalists for trying to do their jobs. It was only a handful of approved journalists, mainly people in the parliamentary press gallery, that were given free reign to walk the streets of Ottawa. And others, including myself, were threatened with arrest, even though the emergency order specifically said anyone who was there for a lawful purpose, of which journalism is still uh, at this time in Canada, could be there but then you get into this idea of proving it and, and you and i have talked about this in the past we, you know one police officer was convinced by my verified twitter profile another i had a letter from true north i had a, a phone number for uh one of our editors and, and still they were saying nope if unless you're in the parliamentary press gallery you're, you're not getting through and in fact you'll be arrested if you if you don't turn around so when the government does this it is not just against the idea of media freedom and the idea of free speech, but more fundamentally it is, as you note, something that has a chilling effect on specific types of free speech because it's it's never the CBC types that are targeted by this. It's always conservative independent media. And I, I did a panel here at the Canada Strong and Free Network Conference that talked about this. And the reality is independent media is kind of owned by the right right now. It, it's the right that does really well on this. So when you go after independent media, you're targeting conservatives, you're targeting people on the right.
0: It's interesting, your, your anecdote about how the, uh, one of the police officers really wanted a government badge. that just some mindset here in Ottawa. Like, everyone yeah. works for the government.
1: Well, because, they, yeah, everyone has a government badge. I mean, the Starbucks employee has a government badge, I think, in Ottawa.
0: Exactly. No, but I think you're right. It's interesting because there is a lot of independent-ish journalists on the left as well. Mm-hmm. Journalism, there's lots of interesting sites. The, the, the weird thing is a lot of them just kind of end up becoming government-funded or government subsidies. I'm thinking of places like the Walrus or just these yeah. kind of small... The National
1: models. Observer, which has, like, government-funded reporters. And now, yeah right
0: exactly so they don't stay independent because they don't keep that and right now i mean with conservatives it's like there's there's this whole growing movement of kind of grassroots independent shops there's so many of them now it's great to see but it's like You know, it's a David Goliath situation because we're up against not just the behemoth of the CBC that gets 1.4, 1.5 billion dollars a year, and they really, really influence the press galleries because they're so they they outnumber everyone else, right? But you also have the corporate media, the woke sort of capitalism that's seeping in. Uh, We heard from Jamil Giovanni, who was a former radio host uh, at at Bell News Talk 1010 in Toronto, and he was basically talking about how even though he is an independent-minded black man. Uh, he wasn't woke enough for the upper uh, high ups at Bell, and he was forced to do this. And then, and then you have the newspapers who also help shape the news um, front, and they're subsidized now. They, they have the media bailout. And so it, it's really, you know, w- w- we feel like we're doing really well. It's fun to be at a conference uh, like Canada Strong and Free because it's filled with conservative activists. And so many of them tune into True North, and we really appreciate We love you know, coming to these kind of events and these conferences and getting to meet the people who you know support true north watch our programming it's great to connect with the sort of grassroots base in that way um, but we're so small and compared to these big giants and, and and you really kind of feel like you're, you have your work cut out for you uh, what do you think
1: yeah i would agree with that and, and i would also say that the challenge is going to be i, I mean just to, to illustrate it with an anecdote one of the big things that we see uh, as people on the right is is that obviously people on the right support independent media and they they support it but it it goes down that road of almost siloing it where you've got you know your mainstream which is for the left and your independent which is for the right and the problem with that is that we want to be able to expand our audience and i have no issues with watching cbc and i mean i do but i generally in theory i have no issues with it because i want to see and have a broader discussion and a broader conversation. And it is challenging because we are in a, a space where we have we, we don't have a level playing field. We don't have the the subsidy head start that a lot of these these other uh, groups on the left do. But I also think that content is king in a way and, and content eventually is what's eroding the trust in the mainstream media, it's their content. And it's what's elevating trust in, in independent media. And it's not just tooting our own horn, there are others uh, that we are ostensibly competing with that are in a very similar boat. but. Uh, that takes time. It takes time to sort of release that stranglehold that the mainstream media have on official media.
0: And it's interesting too, because I mean, this this kind of goes back to like libertarian capitalist theory. It's like, you know, the, the, the bad companies keep getting subsidized. So they keep doubling yeah. down on their bad business. Yeah, bad it's case. not a free market. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like in a normal market, those companies would be forced to make real decisions that might lead mm-hmm. to innovation. I'm thinking of a, like a group like the Winnipeg Free Press, right? This has been a newspaper forever. More than half of their funding now comes from the government. And you go on their website and it's like really clunky and old. And they, they, they're not entering the 21st century. They're not not bringing it. And and it's the same thing with these big, you know, post media, these big uh, unionized shops that don't know how to collect news anymore. I I was talking earlier with Holly Doan who is its founder and she runs BlackLock's Reporter and they just do tremendous independent research and independent media and she made the point you just did about content is king it's like people want good journalism and they're really increasingly not getting that from the mainstream media anymore so they're turning uh, to independent people I I really do feel like we have our work cut out (laughs) for us so I want to talk to you you know the big story of the week is 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 something that's spilling over from the United States this decision uh, that was leaked out from the Supreme Court of the United States uh, overturning Roe versus Wade. People who are familiar with this court case, like it's almost universally agreed that this, this case was really poorly argued, that the, the, that it doesn't stand up to scrutiny, that it's a very bad decision. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, you know, this, this question of abortion, the abortion debate in the U.S. Is, is spilled out. You know, they're having it. It's happening in the United States, still into Canada. All of the politicians on the left, all of the media have used it as an opportunity to say, well, first a virtue signal about how gr- glorious Canada is because we don't have abortion laws, um, but but then also to try to uh, you know, turn it against the conservatives. We know in 2019, a large part of the reason why I think Andrew Scheer ultimately wasn't successful is because he didn't have a good answer to this question about abortion, about gay marriage, and people were worried that he was a religious zealot or something like that. I think that the liberals right now are just so excited that this issue is something that the media will talk about and use it to paint Conservatives as being sort of anti-woman or or whatever. Um, have, have you heard, you know, we're, we're at this conference with all these Conservative activists. Have you, have you heard a lot of people talking about it? What's your take on how this will affect the Conservative leadership race and, and the Conservative movement more broadly in Canada?
1: Yeah, I haven't heard too, too much yet at the conference specifically. But just in the last few days, the, the one point that I've raised, I think I raised this on my show the other day, is that abortion is a wedge for conservatives in a way that it isn't for the liberals. And it used to be, but the liberals under Justin Trudeau have just purged anyone that doesn't go along with Justin Trudeau's view on this from their caucus so the liberals are in lockstep with each other the ndp the block are in lockstep so they know that it's it's not at all there's no losing when they bring it up they just want to force conservatives to have some stand up and say i'm pro-life and some stand up and say they're pro-choice a divide that works within the conservative party that has always allowed for people to approach these issues and other issues of conscience from whichever perspective they'd like. But they know that then the CBC is gonna go into overdrive, the Toronto Star, and it's gonna be, oh, these antiquated anti-woman dinosaurs, and, and it just goes into this whole thing. So what you need is a conservative that can, and you touched on this with the Andrew Scheer observation, that can defend and sell their position, not necessarily to convert people, but to explain it, because defense isn't working. You get conservatives that end up apologizing for their values, which is never the way you you win anyone over. Leslie Lewis has done a great job on this. She's uh, put out her platform on abortion, which is no hidden agenda. And she said, this is what I stand for. Boom, boom, boom. And as a result, there's not really that much criticism that she faces from the media because they don't sense that weakness that they do a lot of other times. Yeah, Yeah. of like where, where it's like someone feels like they've been caught doing something they're not supposed to do. It's no, if you believe it, own it.
0: Right. Yeah and I, I think I think you're right like there's a weird thing where well first of all I just want to say that the media is so dishonest on this issue yeah. they treat it completely black and white right yeah. you're either uh, you either believe that birth begins at conception in which case all abortions under any circumstances no matter mm-hmm. what are going to be illegal which is a minority
1: position among pro lifers right yeah. <laughs> right
0: well and, and 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 even maybe people who have that view might not want to legislate that way yeah. and then the other side is like um, oh hey, you know um, the baby's born, but I changed my mind, and you know, you know it's like it's like no no laws on abortion whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You can have late term abortions. You can have personal abortion, birth abortions. We don't care. All abortion. us everyone. The reality, Andrew, is that most Canadians fall somewhere. In the middle, they probably do want protections against late-term abortions or sex-selective abortions. There's so much more nuance in this, but you know, I saw the Journal de Montreal front page. Um, they had the faces of all the conservative MPs who they have called pro-life, and it's like they're perpetuating this idea that you know the people in the Conservative Party have like this really um, removed view that that's so offside with the rest of the Canadian public. When of course there is more nuance. I will just say I think that by and large. Canadians and even most conservatives just don't really want to have this discussion. They would prefer to just not talk about it and they want the issue to be put to rest. And so to your point that Leslyn Lewis has been able to, you know, very substantively explain her exact position, then there's there's no reason to keep pushing it because there's no gotcha moment. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no opportunity to embarrass her in the way that they, I think they, they, they were able to embarrass or at least uh, catch Andrew sheer flat footed. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I, I think the one area where I would slightly disagree with that is that, The status quo in Canada is unique in the world and not in a good way of zero laws, zero restriction at all. Uh, Technically, if you found a doctor to do it, you could have an abortion up to a minute before a child is delivered. That's rare. When Canadians learn about that, they're opposed to it. But Canadians don't know it. Sex selective abortion as well, aborting someone, a child for no reason other than you don't want a daughter. Uh, It's one of the largest motivating factors in, in some cultures towards abortion. Canadians don't know that's legal. When they do, they oppose it. So whatever you think of those policies, there are nuances to it that are lost in, as you mentioned, that dichotomy of pro-life, pro-choice or or pro-life, anti-choice, pro-abortion, anti-abortion, like these semantics that people bring into it. And I mean, Trudeau, it could backfire what he's done because he's now said that we need to introduce legislation to ensure that this right to abortion in Canada is unshakable and no one can ever take it away. And he says, we need to have a debate on it. It's okay, well, if you want to have a debate on it, that's what a lot of Conservatives have wanted. Mm -hmm. They said, let's just have a discussion about this that allows us to talk about this. What about unborn victims of crime? What about sex-selective abortion? What about late-term abortion? And I could see, I mean, setting aside the makeup of the House of Commons right now, I could see if we did have a national discussion about abortion, Canadians settling on, you know, maybe third trimester abortions are, are not a thing we should have. So it could backfire.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because I've been looking into the US. A lot of Americans are misled about what Roe does and doesn't do. Yeah. I mean, the idea of legislating from the courts is not something that has a tradition in, no. in Canada or the US. So this idea that, Roe would be the ones that would determine the laws rather than the Senate, you know, the state Senate, the, 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 the lawmakers, the people who are elected to make these decisions. Uh, to me, it's much better in the hands of people who have, uh, you know, are represented by the public as opposed to someone who's appointed uh, for life that has, you know, very little scrutiny and accountability. Um, but, but, but also the idea that it would just like immediately ban abortion all over the United States. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to be a state's rights issue. So states like California and New York are never going to you know, change the yeah. laws to to ban abortion, whereas other states um, would. But but the interesting thing is, you look at the European Union, you look at countries in Europe that have laws already banning abortion at fifteen weeks, twelve weeks, and and you and you set back and say, oh wow, Canada really is yeah. an outlier because we don't have any laws whatsoever. So may, maybe you're right that there is more of an appetite to have this discussion, and and if so, I think Trudeau might be a little bit surprised with where the Canadian public is because. Again, we're so misled. I'll, I'll just give another example for Fake News Friday. Um, ECOS, which is run by Frank Graves, who is a, a sort of interesting character and a pollster that's not always very reliable. He put something out that said it's not something like 80% of Canadians are are pro-choice and only 12% are pro-life or something like that. Um, again, these euphemisms that don't really, you know, people might not have really thought through um, what they mean. But, you know, if, if you think that you have 80% of the Canadian public on your side, you might be much more you brazen to go forth to try to legislate something, but then you might not realize all this nuance that's within yeah. and all the views that Canadians have that are actually not black and white and uh, and have have you know a lot of room for discussion. <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. And and you know that's that's the role of Canadian politicians is to take on these sort of important moral and cultural issues and, and help navigate through it. And so Trudeau's style of you know divide, wedge, you, you demonize I I, I could see that all playing out. I don't know that that's really the direction that we want to go in our country. I don't know that that's the direction that we want to go in the conservative movement, but we might be headed there again from external factors. Uh, What what else is on your mind uh, at this convention? I know there's a lot of exciting speakers. Do you have any interesting interviews lined up? What what do you have planned in Ottawa?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, uh, the the main event, which uh, you play a a role in, the leadership debate, has been a a big part of of what a lot of people want to get out of this. Uh, And and my hope is, in general, that uh, whenever you have a forum like this where conservatives are coming together, and I use that with a small c, that people are, are talking about the movement itself, not just the day-to-day electo- electoral politics and the horse racing, but, but the movement itself and the values, because, you know, victory without values is meaningless, values without victory uh, is also in its own way meaningless. I mean, you can die on a hill, but, you know, if, and die for something, but if you're at the end of the day not doing anything with it, it it's, it's understandably challenging. So I, I think that, yeah, you need to start talking about the tactical things of, of how you win, but you also need to talk about what it is that you stand for, and I, I think that principles matter. And oftentimes we assume that principles are antithetical to victory, which I think is a big failing in the Conservative Party.
0: Well, and that's why it's great to be around Conservative activists and people who, you know, have have really strong convictions in certain areas, areas of expertise, areas of activism, uh, because you're getting uh, everybody in the space together provides an opportunity to have those discussions, have those debates, flesh them out, figure out exactly where we think, uh, where, where we stand on different issues and kind of get the ball rolling to uh, to a point you made earlier conservatives are often playing defense it's mm-hmm. like why not we why don't take a step forward and, and yeah. start to push forth our own agenda well it's it's great to be at an event in person it's been a long time um it's great to just be around people without having to wear a mask and socially distance yeah. and all that kind of stuff
1: and your own coworkers, some of whom you've like never met in person until this weekend
0: yeah we, we, <laughs> we have that with a couple of our producers here we've got sean right there i have never met him in person finally get to meet him in um, 3D instead of 2D. So it's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candice Malcolm, joined by Andrew Lawton. We are on the floor of the Convention Center in Ottawa. Thank you so much for tuning in.